Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky. Yes, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good anything, wherever you are across this big blue, green and brown planet of ours. Welcome to Splinters, the Australian Open Tennis Preview Edition here on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at triplehfm.com.au. And you can download us at podcast.com. That's the first donation to the swear jar. And it's quite appropriate I should be putting money into the swear jar considering we've got the swear jar donator extraordinaire joining me for the Australian Open Preview. Don Rizzuto, what's doing? Oh, Keith, mate, it's great to be with you talking all things tennis going forward into the Australian Open. That's the the summer sport is back and. I can't wait to get stuck in. Of course, yes, I have given my fair share of donations during my time, but I'm getting better at every now and then. And Keith, I'm not going to let you get by with that one. That was a shocker. No, that was you, terrible. You, you get on my case quite quickly when it comes to this sort of stuff. So one for you, one dollar for you. Well, let, let's not beat around the bush. It is Australian Open preview. We are a week in advance, so we don't actually have the draw as yet. That's the problem with the Australian Open and trying to get our preview in. Because if we did the preview with the draw, we'd actually be coming in late. So there would be a chance that some of the matches on the Monday and the Tuesday would have been played and it would make us look like complete idiots and I've already had that with the NHL and I don't need that again Dom no, I totally agree with you there the draws not, won't be coming up in and around now pretty much and you know it's when, when you hear this it should be yeah. out but as we go to air and recording this on the Friday afternoon we're in the middle of the Hopman Cup we're in the middle of the Brisbane International there's no draw as yet but as, as the glory is with radio recording we have to get there first exactly right and I've got enough penance knowledge I believe to get us through the, the ins and outs we won't be able to discuss some of the runs that some of those key players are going to have to go through, especially this year. But we can still sort of give you an indication how their run will look, uh, especially the the women out and uh, the men outside of the top 32 players in the world who are still quality players who will feature in that Grand Slam favourite category. Well, let, let's start with the women then in, in the in the top 32. And there, there's three names that really stand out, and that's the top three ranked players, the top three seeds at, at the Australian Open this year. So walk us through exactly what you see happening with Caroline Wozniacki, Angelique Kerber, and Simona Halep, the Romanian who has just absolutely skyrocketed into the number one spot in terms of the points rankings. Well, 2018 was a really fascinating year for the women's game because it was... Uh, for the first time in a long time since I think 2011 I believe that a Grand Slam winner was not Serene Williams and actually on Simona Halep she won her first Grand Slam in 2018 as well after missing out and in the finals she won the French Open and then Caroline Wozniacki she won the Australian Open last year so she's the defending champion she beat Simona Halep in a, an extraordinary match uh, in the uh, in the grand final, I'm expecting these two to be fantastic again. They've really gone leaps and bounds since uh, you know a few years back. Especially Caroline Wozniacki, who was once regarded as one of the 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 sort of worst number ones in the world. She'd have won all these ATP titles, but had never won a Grand Slam. And it, you'd think that'd be funny. You'd never see that in the men's game where uh, a, a player who hasn't won a Grand Slam was featured at number one. But due to the way the point system and works and the competitiveness of the women's game, she's always been up there and now she's got that you know the water off the back and she's playing really good tennis and I'm really looking forward to seeing where she goes 
Angelique Kerber, she comes in at world number two this year. She'll be seated second at the Australian Open. She's a world-class talent. She's won plenty of uh, Grand Slams so far. I expect her in particular this year to be fantastic. She won Wimbledon in 2018. I expect her to, again, be a big competitor here at the Australian Open. As I was going to say, that was something that really did appeal to me about the women's game, and that's why I'd never really enjoyed seeing Serena Williams play, and to a lesser extent, Venus, because their power game really did take a lot of the other female players out of the game. And Once you took that power element, that extreme power element that the Williams sisters both had out of the women's game, it all of a sudden became, you know, draw, draw a lottery ball and see who can come up with. You can get the number 20 ranked player in the world winning a slam. It, that's not any. That's not a problem. You can go number 10, you can go number 1, it's not an issue. So the, the absence of the Williams sisters f- to the effect that it really does open up the draw is something that really does appeal. But we're speaking of Americans, moving down the rankings a little bit, I'm going to pass over Svitolina and Osaka because there's a player that's really grabbed my attention in terms of what she's able to do in in terms of skill, and that's the American Sloane Stevens. Now she she does have a a fair a strong game behind her, but is there any real option here for her to be able to win this Slam, or do you think that it's probably out of reach given the form of the players of the caliber of the Hallops and the Kerbers and the Wozniakis? A 2017 US Open winner Sloane Stevens. I don't think this is out of her reach whatsoever. She's a fantastic talent, still really young. She's got a lot of power. There's a, there's a lot of female players coming through now that have the power of Serena Williams, but also kind of have the, the the more athletic baseline ability. Not to say that Serena doesn't have that game as well. She's one of the most fantastic baseline defenders in the game. But at that age, you know, that she's getting to that age now where it becomes a little bit more difficult, that style of play. Sloane Stevens, on the other hand, she's fantastic. I expect her, again, to be a real challenge, especially for the likes of Halep and Wozniacki, who don't hit the ball as hard. Those those players in particular can be blown off the court and players like Stevens and Serena Williams and you mentioned Naomi Osaka we brushed past we'll get to her in a bit obviously she was a Grand Slam winner in 2018 as well those players on their day are unstoppable because they just have the power to to brush you off but you speak about the power game in the women's game and and it it was like that in the men's game when Sampras was around and when and when those the Williams sisters were in charge. The game has now come a lot further. The technology in the rackets helps the players a lot more in returning the ball. It's almost like when you they just fling a racket at and because of the way the strings are tightened and the, the, the way that the racket frame is shaped and modelled now, the impact of the ball is absorbed so heavily that when it returns, it returns back the way with so much control that you can put yourself in the point. And that's why in the men's game, you haven't seen that big power game, those big servers dominate anymore because of the likes of Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, who have that ability and the technology to go with them to stop that that game. I expect, but in the women's game, it still kind of exists just due to the the athleticism in, within the sport itself. It's more of a an advantage in that game than it is in the men's game. But And Sloane Stevens is someone who can exploit that. Interesting point you make about the technology in the racket. And I, I'm not completely updated on the technology but I know that in swimming for a long time those body suits were shaving seconds and seconds and seconds and they were setting records that are not going to be broken for generations. In hockey you had the wooden sticks go out and you have had the composite material come in so the sticks would break more often but you've got much more control and much more power. Is that something that has really evened out the competition, the racket technology? And is that a good or a bad thing? Because in the women's game, I'd say it's a 
good thing because it has eliminated that power element. But at the same time, you you get enough players with that power element, and you can still create a bit of a competition at the top if enough players do have that power, rather than making it effectively a crapshoot. Absolutely, it's in a lot of sports that, re- re- that require an, an object to be used to help you win a point. I, boots don't make a difference in football or in rugby or anything like that. They say that they do. Nike or Adidas will try and tell you that the Super Predator will make you run faster and you can and you move quicker. It's very minimal in tennis, though, and golf, and with hockey, as you mentioned before, huge, huge. Ad- uh, way it changes the game and there's actually I'm not super into the technical side of it I do know a little bit about it but there's actually quite a massive contrast between each player's rackets there's, they're not as similar as you think Nadal has it in the way they're gripped Nadal's strings are, are, are built in such a way that he can develop even more top spin than his body can actually produce and the way he holds the racket in in particular with the western grip the extreme western grip it really spins but the, it's also to do with the strings that, and the way that the racket is made. And that's why each player, I know obviously sponsorship comes into it, but each player has a different racket because that's how they're made for them. Um, I, and a lot, of, especially in the women's game, I used to play, you know, when I was younger, I used to play against all the girls. You used to play in the women's game, did well, you? Well, I used to play against a lot of oh, girls. Was, they didn't segregate the men's and the, oh, the, okay. the girls when you played against each other. And you used to play, sometimes we, you know, you muck around, you swap rackets. Mm. The girls' rackets, when you hit the ball, you actually hit it super hard because the strings or the way the racket was designed was designed for you when you hit it the ball would be hit harder so you could hit it further you could generate more power with the racket so i used to play with the with the guys used to play with the, with the girls rackets or the women's rackets it was more difficult you'd have to have more control because obviously you're generating more power along with this racket and the ball would go flying so it, de- it makes a huge difference, the, the technology and the sport, in evening up the competition. When you say you can generate more power from the rackets that were specifically designed from the women, in terms of golf, it would almost be the difference between playing with a two-iron versus a driver. Well, exactly right. And even with golf, on you know, I've been playing recently and I've, I've got myself a new set and it's actually got like a graphite um, it's graphite pole instead mm-hmm. of like the steel. Yep. And we were doing some interesting uh, shots with that today and you could see where the ball was hitting the driver. You would be hitting it sort of top edge, mm. not even in the centre. And the ball would still be going straight because the way the club is designed, it corrects your shot for you. So it doesn't, it's, it's more forgiving. So if you were to hit that with, a, let's say, a, a blade, which is what they're mm. what they're used in golf and more the professionals use, and if you hit it on the side of your club, it goes to the right and it yep. goes and you 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 flunk your shot. But with the the more forgiving clubs, if you do happen to top the shot, you don't hit it in the middle. Somehow I don't know what it is, or how the technology works, the way the club bends and sort of corrects the shot for you once on the impact of the ball, it sends it straight. So it, it makes and it's the same thing in tennis. Different strings, the way that they they've been strung up, the shape of the racket head, the grip. The so the, wim- the women's rackets are less forgiving for skill and technical errors than what the men's are, which which probably goes to reason when you actually watch the men's versus the women's games, and there's there's a lot more skill involved in the women's games because men can get into those brutal rallies, 200 kilometers an hour plus. I wouldn't say that they they were all like that. Definitely, there were a few out there. The women's games are one thing that is great about the women's game is that yes, the men can get into those brutal rallies, but those brutal rallies are not even close to some of the length of rallies that the women get into because they can't use power to get out of the game and as you see there is more control in their shots because of the fact they're not smacking the ball at 100 miles an hour they're still hitting it very very damn fast there's no doubt about that but it's more controlled and it generates a better a better game and a more even competition going back to the players 
rankings, we did go to Sloane Stephens and you, we did go past Naomi Osaka and she's a very intriguing case. Obviously, the US Open, shall we say it was a clustered duck for lack of a better term or for, I should say, not wanting to get kicked off air by ACMA or the Community Broadcasting Association. But Naomi Osaka, the way she dispatched Serena Williams in that US Open final. Now, the surfaces are very similar. They're, they're not identical, the US and the Australian Open's surfaces, but the similarities there have got to make Osaka a real dark horse for this tournament, surely. I watched her in the Australian Open a few years back when I went over the, down to Melbourne to just to watch a few games. I think it was day three. And I saw her play... And I, from that moment, knew that she had a future ahead of her. The way that she, she hit the ball hard, she had athletic ability. And she I remember watching her uh, working on a, doing a highlights package for, for some of my work. And she was playing Ash Barty in the, in the female draw around, around the quarterfinal stage. And she dispatched her. And Ash Barty is no slouch. She's a fantastic talent. And what's, what was impressed me about Osaka was it's really difficult, and with the episode that Serena had, it's really difficult for players to maintain a, a sense of focus when players blow up a little bit like that. And it is there is a little bit of gamemanship involved. Nadal did a lot, does it a lot when he's down and out. He'll call for he'll call for an injury break. He always does it. If he's down a set, he'll call an injury break. The player gets relaxed. The, the opposition player loses a little bit of focus because he's having to waste time. He's not in. He hasn't got that momentum. Nadal comes out and then he whoops him. In that's the next something three that sets. I've never liked about Rafa Nadal, and mm. that, that's something that I really don't understand why more people don't actually see mm. that in what Nadal does because it is the ultimate act of gamesmanship. Just as you say with Serena, and that that sort of gamesmanship. If you're going to do it, at, at least try and make it subtle to try and get under the opponent's skin rather than abuse the rules and abuse officials or abuse injuries because then you have a situation almost like diving where you will eventually get an injury and people say oh you're just playing it up playing it up and you get that sort of a reputation particularly someone that has suffered injury in the past like Nadal has yeah Nadal Nadal's an interesting one we'll get to him a little bit later on the men's side but back to the the gamesmanship concept that gamesmanship concept Osaka did really well to hold her nerve there she could have easily found felt intimidated by Serena's um, presence on court, just in general, and then on the fact that she felt that she was being, it was almost an insult, she felt she was being cheated out of the game. Serena, mm. she was. But at the end of the day, she was getting beaten out of the game yep. in that in that grand in that grand final at the U.S. Open last year. I expect Naomi Osaka to be in and around that quarterfinal stage once again. But but this women's draw will go a bit further down now. Is so competitive. There is nine. Grand Slam winners inside the top 32 in the women's draw. Ranked 18 or seeded 18. What odds Garbin Muguruza? Now, I had a look at her. We're recording on the on the Friday before you're actually hearing this, so you would have been aware that Muguruza had a bit of a, an injury concern uh, over in Perth at the Hopman Cup as she was playing, I think it was Cornet from France this morning. What are her odds like? Because she struck me as someone that has that ability to take the next step and look so close to stepping into that truly elite tier, that Halep Kerber tier, but hasn't actually quite got there yet. Well, she was there a year or two ago. She won t- She won Wimbledon. She won um, the French Open. Um, she was a, she's been a fant- fantastic player and has been around that mark for a long time, but she's never really been able to, like you said, solidify mm. that position. But that's the nature of the women's game. There's there's very few players in the last few, year, few years, I should say, that have come and stayed there. Serena's really the only 
want. Sharon Pover was up there for a while, but obviously she fell down for, uh, after the drug scandal that she had back in, I think it was 2014, 15 now. Somewhere around there. And, you know, she'd never really returned through that mark. Gabi Magudza is a, is a great player, but I think with a lot of players, especially Spanish players, it's the way that they've trained to play. Mm. They're trained to play hard baseline rally tennis. It's the same with Nadal. And look at Nadal now and how, how many injuries now he's picking up later in his career. Muguruza plays the exact same way. The, just baseline rallies, defend, 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 defend. You, when you play like that, it puts a lot of pressure on your body. And it you don't have it doesn't have a longevity. That's why Federer has been so dominant for so long. Because his game isn't based on attack and trying to win the points fast, quick, and tactic and, and strategically. That's not what it's like in the Spanish game. The Spanish game is based on clay. They train on clay. They're trained to grind, 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 grind. And that's why the likes of Muguruza hasn't really been able to keep herself at the top because she is constantly picking up niggling injuries around the you know her knees or her ankles. Talking of Spanish players, one that also showed a lot of promise that I'm intrigued by sitting down at number 23 is Carla Suarez Navarro. Another Spanish player, another one out of that grinding mould. What are her chances like? Because I always thought that she had that ability to take that step up as well. Again, I think with Carla Suarez Navarro, she's she's got a, a, a lot of talent, but unlike Muguruza, she she lacks the power game. And in you have to be like Halep or Wozniacki. You have to be and Kerber. You have to be really good if you don't have a power game. You have to be really good. You got to hit your mark every mm. time. If you 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 might be a great defender. You might be a a really sound player, but you still need that sense of power and athleticism to take you to the next stage. And I don't think she has it. She doesn't have that. And she that's why you constantly see her fall around the third round, the fourth round. And I mean, I don't see her going past that personally. Another player that I'm intrigued by, particularly being so low in the seedings, is the number 25 seed, Dominica Sibylkova. Where where does she fall in this? Where, where do you see her going? Can she make a, an impact from outside that top 16 and outside that really elite level. I think there's a lot of players, and especially a lot of Eastern European players, and I'll speak another one who's a bit further up the list who's a real good chance this year. But back to Shibakova. She is in and around that mix as well. Any player inside this top 32 if you go and have a look online at the WTA rankings, has a chance of going deep into the competition. That's how even, and I reiterate this point time and time again, that's how even this mm. the, this sport is in the women's game. The, you, there is plenty of players who can go to that next stage, but it depends now because we're really starting to see a sense of, I feel like, especially in the last couple of years, a new growth of women's players come through who look like they could almost build their own top four dynasty that we've seen in the men's draw. The likes of Osaka, the likes of Wozniacki, the likes of Halep and Kerber. Those girls, excuse me, those women could be around for a very long time in that top rankings. But what's it, it brings back to my point about the likes of Wozniacki never winning a Grand Slam and still being ranked first in the world. Because there's so many WTA tournaments all the time, the ranking and the rankings are so close with the the seedings always changing so you look at Serena Williams who's down in 15th this year she or 16th apologies got going to have to take a really hard run to get to the grand final so every year because they're constantly the rankings are constantly changing these women, certain women who have been around those top 10 spots, they've lost a few because of the WTA tournaments because they haven't done mm. as well the way it works they push them down, they then have to go the hard way 
to the top in the Grand Slams, which is why you see such an even competition because the likes of Wozniacki could easily get beaten by Serena Williams, who's down mm. in 16th. She could meet her in the third round. You spoke of another Eastern European player. I've been checking out two names in particular. See what I did there? Check, checking, check. Petra Kvitova, Karolina Pliskova. Are those, is one of those players the one you're looking at in particular, or have you got another dark horse? Kvitova, obviously, Grand Slam winner. Pliskova has been in around that ranking for a very long time. I definitely see Kvitova always making a, a chance. She's got a really good power game. Um, she's coming off the back of a few injuries and I think a few dodgy issue, personal issues, but she tend to sort of follow every female Eastern European player from time to time. I see her going again, causing trouble. Pliskova again, very tall, great serve. She can go a long way if she gets a good run. A lot of these runs will come off how the draw ends up showing. If Pliskova can, you know, avoid the likes of Serena, Wozniacki, and Halep until she gets to the quarterfinals or the, or the, or the depending on round, where the seeds are placed. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. She could make a, a dart. Mm. So we're not too. I'm not too sure. A uh, couple of notes uh, or noteworthy things to consider. Um, 2018, the first time Williams hasn't won a Grand Slam in the calendar year for who knows how long. I checked it, this before. 2011. 2011. Last time yeah, we mentioned, I mentioned that at the top. 2011, which is a which is huge. She and finally enough, this is the big interesting thing about Serena in 2019, coming off the, you know the birth of her child last year. Um, sorry, in twenty in twenty sixteen, I think it was, or late twenty sixteen, she missed a few of the Grand Slams. Mm. She then she's sitting on twenty three Grand Slam titles. Mm -hmm. She's still, oh, excuse me, is it twenty two or twenty three? She's around that mark. Twenty three, I think. Oh, yeah, she's one behind Margaret Court still, mm -hmm. and has been now. And she and she had the chance to overtake her two finals she was in last year, which is in the Wimbledon final and in the U.S. Open final. She didn't get over the line. My big debate is, or my big question to the people out there, will she do it? My, my bigger question, though... Will she... I think she might get there, but will she get the 25? Well, if she does, then surely you've, you've got the, the two major arenas in Melbourne. You've got Rod Laver Arena and Margaret Court Arena. Rod Laver Arena is the centre court. If... Serena Williams makes the Grand Slam final at the Australian Open, surely you'd move that final to Margaret Court Arena for her to have the chance to take over from Margaret I Court. I, I totally agree with you in that sense, but tickets. Yeah, you can't but, fit uh, as many people in. Think about the symbolism. You get Margaret know, Court there I at know. Margaret Court Arena to see Serena Williams either miss it or take it. Well, it'll level the 24 all if she wins Well, this one. level it as well. So, yeah. But because she's... I mean, she's still at the top of her game, Serena, despite the fact that she thinks... I think she's hit 35, 36 this year. Um, she's got plenty of time still to do it. However, you know, after missing two... It's unlikely to see Serena Williams lose two grand finals in a mm. year. Yeah. So... Running quickly through the Australian op or the opportunities for Australians to win the women's singles, Ash Barty, the 15th ranked player, don't know whether she's quite got that finesse yet. I think she's still a little young. She'll cause trouble if she gets into. She, she's a work in progress, absolutely. Of, in, a, in a good run of form. She, she'll definitely be one of the best players in the world in the next year or two. There's no doubt about it. She's already ranked 15th. She's got a good head on her. She's playing some brilliant tennis. Um, I expect her to be a third, fourth round. Again, It'll come down to who she runs into. Daria Gavrilova ranked 35th. I just hope that she doesn't put on one of these stink shows again because when she blows up, she really does irk me. 
Yeah, she's uh, the, the pocket rocket, as they call her, amongst the Australian uh, player circuit. She's she's probably, I think, and it's harsh to say this, but in the women's game, she is probably just too small to ever win a Grand Slam. Mm. She doesn't, and like I said before, you need a certain level of power to take you to that next level. I don't think she has that level, and mm. I don't. She'll cause some trouble. She's a hard worker. She puts herself right in the mix. She'll always go to. She'll always be in a. If you lose in the first set, she'll always fire and probably win the second set. My question is, if, if she runs into the likes of a Serena Williams or a Kvitova, they'll blast her off the court. Yeah. Ayla ranked 46th, real outside Young chance. Girl, outside chance. Look, she might get round. She might get past the first round. I don't see it going too much further than the second round, but we'll be cheering her on nonetheless. And speaking of first or second round exits, Sam Stoser in 74. Yeah, look, you can't really look past the form guy, which will be a first round exit for... Sam Stozer, the last female Australian player to win a Grand Slam, funnily enough, beating Serena Williams in that US Open back, I believe, in 2013, I think it was now. She'll be, again, she's probably now getting on a little bit, perhaps now to still play the way that she used to play. Uh, and again, she has always had this thing, but she just this enigma that she just can't play on Australian soil, and I think that will probably just continue. Who's your tip? My tip for this year's Australian Open, look, I can't look past Serena Williams. I think after the... The U.S. Open debacle that she had and missing out on Wimbledon, I think she's going to really come out firing. You can't look past her ever if she's in a major competition like this. That's it for the women's half of the draw at the 2019 Australian Open. We've got the men's coming up and we've got 10 talking points up next here on Splinters. Welcome back to Splinters here on Triple H 100.1 FM every Tuesday night at 8pm, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. You can also download us at podcasts.com. I got that one right. Podcasts.com. And Dom, remember, it's triplehfm.com.au because I listened to your New Year Spectacular last week and you said triplehfm.com.au. So that's the swear jar for you as well. Apologies, Keefi. It's... It, they sound pretty similar, though, there. I feel like that's like a, a half fine. All right. Half fine. All right, we'll, we'll dock you 50 cents instead of the dollar. Well, to be honest, let's face it, I'm probably going to make another mistake in a few hours' time, so we'll probably just put that full dollar in. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Men's draw, big four, has become big three. Andy Murray missing for a lot of last season with injuries. That leaves you with the big three plus Alexander Zverev. So... Without, they don't need any introduction. Number one, Novak Djokovic. Number two, Rafa Nadal. Number three, Roger Federer. And the interloper, if you like, is Alexander Zverev in number four. Who's the best bet on the Australian Open surface? Right now, you can't. I mean, Roger Federer, obviously, the 2018 champion, had that fantastic match against Rafa Nadal. We didn't think we were actually going to see it again. Um, and we got it. Um, that's not to say that we can't see it again, but right now, inside that top three, I'm not. I'm going to exclude Sherev because I'm going to get to him a little bit later. The man from Serbia, the Serbian himself, the Joker, Novak Djokovic, you can't look past him right now. He's come back from out of nowhere. Everyone thought he was done. Everything, everyone thought he was going nowhere. He came back and won two Grand Slams back-to-back at Wimbledon, then the US Open, and now is well ranked number one. He won the, the Masters Tour as well at the end of the year in London. He's, he's in excellent form once again. He's won this tournament six times, more than any other player has ever. I expect him again to be in that grand final spot and probably holding the trophy up come to the end of the competition. Let's assume for a moment that Djokovic gets injured or is upset on a really terrible day. Federer versus Nadal, who's your option? Because I, I would think that 
on any surface other than clay, and this is why I don't think Nadal deserves the plaudits that he gets for being as good as Federer, because if you don't put them on clay, if they're on clay, Nadal wins every day of the week. But off clay, that's a lot of surfaces, and Federer wipes the floor with him. Yeah, look, Nadal had that period in time where he was also dominant off clay as well, and he he did have Federer's number for a long time. But I really felt like... when it's, it's hard to say how long Federer has left on the court. Nadal, despite the fact he comes into this competition not 100% fit, which is probably every competition he comes into now, he's not 100% fit. It's hard to say how, how long Federer will, will be around for between these two. And you, cause you could say that last year's win over Nadal at the Australian Open, he kind of finally broke what he, what most people believed he had, which was the, the Nadal hoodoo, in which he just suddenly just couldn't play against Nadal. It just the, the mentality of playing Nadal, he, he couldn't, just couldn't get over. I think out of the three, Federer has always been the most naturally gifted. And in his prime, he was better than both of them. But that being said... Nadal and and Novak far better mental games than he's ever had Federer. They just somehow know how to stay in the game. They don't let pressure get to them. That's why they've been so good for so long and their defensive game is just unreal. I think it's boring to watch personally as a tennis fan, but it's sub- simply sublime. You have to appreciate it nonetheless the ability that that they have on the baseline to somehow still Novak Djokovic this in particular the positions that he puts himself in the long splits after he sli- ran 20 meters across court to get a diving backhand and goes into like a full splits and then gets back up to get the next shot is just simply incredible. If he's staying fully fit, I don't see anyone getting past him. Roger Federer though, look on his day he beats them all. He he's absolutely if he's if he's in the right headspace and then he can power past people and he's just in hitting the ball sweetly he cut those two can't stop him so it's it'll be really interesting in particular but the fear for me for Federer is is that unlike the other two he has he is more likely to get beaten by someone lower down just purely because of his age talk to us about the the new guy on the scene Alexander Alexander Zverev now Murray had a lot of injury concerns, and that number four spot was up for grabs. There were a lot of players that could have taken that spot. One, Martin Del Potro, King Shikori, I thought was a real shot for a while, Marin Cilic, but it's been Zverev who stepped up and made that number four spot his for the time being. Zverev has been around now for a couple of years and has been touted to be the next best. He is very good, Zverev, but he was humbly beaten by a guy further down who I'll mention in my players to watch in... Um, 2018, Hung Chung from China. He had a great uh, tournament in uh, 2018. He was beaten by Federer in the semi-final there before, you know, after a fantastic run, and no one kind of knew who he was. Sheriff has great fortunes in the ATP tournaments. That's why he's very high up. But he still hasn't yet really made an impact at a Grand Slam level. And I still feel like I don't see it happening anytime soon. I still feel like there's a lot of pressure on him to be the step up and be the next best. And I still feel like even though he's a very good player, he's still just, he's not, if he was playing at uh, the likes of Federer and at Nadal and Djokovic when they were his age, he'd stand no chance. They'd, get, they'd blow him away. And I think he's still living in their shadow. And I think until they, one of them or two of them goes... He won't be able to step up. I'd like to see him go further because I still think he's the best chance of beating one of those three 
and potentially taking the title. I just feel like there's just something there, like there was with Grigor Dimitrov when he first broke on the scene and everyone called him the baby fed. He still has that a little bit, Sheriff, and it's going to take something, maybe a, maybe a, a famous coach, maybe the likes of someone like a, a Boris Becker to join him and like, look at the, the success that Djokovic had once Boris Becker came in. Maybe someone like that, just to take him to that next stage. More, not so much through ability and skill, but more just mentally and tactically in, in that sort of sense. The Australian players in the draw are, are the real options. You, you've got the highest ranked Australian at number 31 is Alex Dimonor. Well, we mentioned him last episode on the on Splinters. You're about... almost as in, as in love with him as you are with Roma, by the oh, way. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not go too far, Keith. Nothing will ever take me away from my beloved AS Roma. No, Alec Dimonor had a fantastic year in 2018. He's a he's a great player. He's a grafter. He's a He has an unbelievable amount of effort in his game, which just sees him knock off some of the biggest players, no matter the size. He's a player who, despite may not have that power game, will never give up. He is absolute opposite of what Australian tennis fans have been subject to for the last 10 years with Kyrgios and Tomic. He is the total opposite on uh, from judging what we've seen so far from him. I expect him to go far in this tournament. I expect I don't expect him to win it, but I'm expecting a I'm I'm putting some money on him making a fourth round and going his personal best. Touching on on other Australian players, they're all outside that top 32, so they're going to be unseated. And you did touch on one right there, Nick Kyrgios. Now, there's a, there's a large ground of opinion that says he's no different to Tomic. He just doesn't care. He's got his money. He's got his fame. He's got his fast cars. And he's got his lady friends. And so he doesn't care. The way I've seen Kyrgios, though, is that he's got an attitude problem and that he's got to learn how to overcome overcome that rather than being I suppose your typical millennial type of I don't give a stuff I'm not going to work for it like a certain Tomic might be whereas Kyrgios he needs to learn how to handle the pressure and then once he does that you'll see him really develop as a player am I right there I don't think he's exactly like Tomic Tomic it, it clearly is is full of himself and he's and now has lost the has now lost the care to play um you know and he and he has never recovered from the the dad and all that and his dad fighting other training partners and all that sort of stuff. He's never recovered from that. Kyrgios, yes, he has an attitude problem. I still think the attitude problem digresses into an arrogance problem that he can't have someone like, you know, uh, a famous tennis, an ex-famous tennis player, a professional tennis player, I should say, who can come in and teach him how to, how to play. I don't think he has that in him to learn from someone. I think he thinks he knows best, and you've seen that. Um, I still feel like his attitude problem is, it's difficult to say, I think it's blown out more than what it is. I think he's probably a, a really nice guy. I know uh, a friend of mine is actually uh, the brother of his, who uh, who was his his brother, the brother of his coach last year, uh, Matt Reed, who coached him for a little bit last year. They were doubles partners, he, and you know he said you know he's a lovely guy off field. He 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 does want to be successful. There's just something in him. I don't know what it is. It's that childlike mentality that he starts losing a couple of sets. And then it's almost like he'd rather say that he lost because he didn't feel like it 
rather than he lost because he was beaten. Yep. That's the arrogance that really sits in with him. That being said, he is the dark horse for me of this competition. He comes in at a lower rank. He may not win it, but he has got the talent the abil- and the ability, physical ability, I should say, to really upset some of the names in this top 32 early on. Some of the other Australians that are in there with... They've got a much lower profile. John Millman at 38 and Matthew Ebden at 46. I I see them as both honest toilers, but really, if they get anywhere near the fourth round, they've got to be doing handstand short. Matthew Ebden's rise, he's old, that Matthew Ebden. He's been around for a very, very long time. He's the oldest player on this Australian contingent and has done had a fantastic 2018 out of nowhere. To find himself in the top 50 is quite incredible. I was shocked when I was first looking at these rankings that he finds himself there. He's a great grafter, Ebden. Yeah, okay, he probably doesn't have the, you know, the the raw talent of a Kyrgios, but, you know, what he does have is fantastic mentality, and he will, you know, do his best. He'll get to second, third round. He'll collect his prize money, knuckle down, try and do better in the next one. John Millman, on the other hand, look, he's he was most famous last year for knocking out Fed. Federer in the US Open out of nowhere in four sets had a fantastic tournament there and obviously lost the next next game and they get by Djokovic or something like that. It was, but he's another one. Grafter can be fantastic on his day, can really push you know some of the best around there and I expect him again to be in the mix to cause some upsets early on. Player on the way up and he, he, I think he's local to the Hornsby or the Hills area, I think he's based at Dural, is Jordan Thompson, number 72 ranking. Not, not a shot in reality here, but he's he's a player that if he can keep his head down and keep working hard, is he a shot at a top 10 spot later on? Um, it's difficult to say. There's a lot of players inside that top 10 that are very, very good. Um, I haven't seen enough of Jordan Thompson, just did not, not to say that, not saying that I haven't seen enough of him because I've seen a lot of him and I haven't seen enough of him to be better. I just haven't seen enough of him actually play in general to make that call. He will definitely be in and around the, the, the first couple of rounds. He'll he'll be a grafter. He's got another one who's got some really good ability. He's v- very athletic. He's not going to tire easily. He's a, he's a player, a young player who can go five sets. That's often a problem with a lot of the younger guys is they don't have that match fitness to go and play a five-setter. He's one of those players who definitely does. I expect him again. He should, if he gets a good run, again with the draw, if he gets a good run, he's a, you know, a prospect of getting to a third round. Final player in the Australian contingent. Do we really need to talk about Bernatomic? <sighs> Look, let's say the better about Bernatomic. I expect him to be knocked out in the first round. I don't expect him going much further than that. He will, you know, traditionally maybe cause an upset in the first round. I don't see it, but again, I don't see him doing too much. He's had a... His his fall has been astronomical, and that's going the opposite way. Like, it it, it, it amazes me how far he has fallen, and I don't expect him to rise anytime soon. Seven in seven or less, the players that you... The seven players you've identified as the ones to watch in ranking order in the top 32. We start with number four, Alex Zverev. Yeah, look, I expect Zverev to be a quarter-finalist this year, but I'd see him maybe falling to uh you know one of these guys potentially or a, a birdage or an isna further down borna Koric in number 12 rank borna Koric is a relatively new very new player this came out in 2018 made the shanghai masters grand final this in 2018 lost to novak in that one um expect him to be a uh, 
I think, to really make a name for himself in this Grand Slam. Because what's so good about the Australian Open is, is that unlike Wimbledon and the French Open and the US Open, because there's such a diverse population, there's a massive following, especially Croatian following, that you know you don't feel that home ground advantage. You feel like every match could be your home ground advantage. One that I'd really love to hear Mizi try and pronounce <laughs> here in number 14 is Stefano Sitsipas. Yes, it's actually... Um, Excuse me on this one. I was actually doing my uh, oh, we pronunciation. Got one. Yes. It was um, Titsipas. It's actually how you pronounce it. Yes. That, that makes no sense. Yeah, Titsipas is how you pronounce it. That makes no sense. It doesn't make sense, I know. Okay. But I was listening to it on... I'm not putting in the swear jar I heard for that him one. say it and he was like, yes, hello, this is Stefan. I'm a Greek player. I have Stefano Titsipas. <laughs> I was like, that, that's... it doesn't make sense, but I will show you after the show. But that's okay. how it's actually pronounced. I expect big things from this man as well. This young man had a great year last year as well in and around the mix. I expect him to be a challenge and these he will form what I believe is could be a future top four and I expect him to be a man who's going to go deep into this competition. Next cab off the rank, literally, in number 15, is Daniel Medvedev. Yeah, Medvedev's been uh, in and around the, the mix for the last couple of years. He's a big, tall boy with a really big serve and, and strong athletic ability. He'll really, he hits players off the court. Again, he, on his day, he could, he's beaten the likes of Federer before he could, and, and Murray. He can really be a, a, a threat to a lot of those players inside that top 10. I expect it, and a, and a player who can definitely win a Grand Slam in the next few years. Playing you touched on earlier, intriguingly so. I want to hear your thoughts on why you think he can win it. Hyung Chung. Yeah, he went to the semi-final last year. Um, lost out to Federer in the end in, uh, I think, four sets, but had a fantastic tournament. Lost, knocked out Sherev in that fourth round. He, again, you would th- I originally thought that it potentially just a one-slam wonder, as, uh, as you like to call him, came out of sort of nowhere and developed you know and had this miracle run but i don't but he's stuck around that top 30 and he's seated you know he's done fantastically well to keep there he's just got this great sort of like perseverance if that's what you want to call it he just he knuckles down he does the job he's not a fancy player you won't see him doing these epic uh nadal round the post down the line shots he will he just knuckles down he hits his spots he's very accurate he's very consistent which is what you need to be it inside the top 10. I'm not sure what he needs to take him to the next stage, but I expect him again to be one of those surprise packets in 2019. 27th ranked Denis Shapovalov. Yeah, the Canadian um, made the his breakthrough a couple of years ago, junior Wimbledon winner. Hasn't really gone on from when he first broke on the you scene. You think he's a better chance of doing something than Milos Raonic, the other Canadian uh, in the draw? Um, Raonic... I'd love to have talked about Randic because he's really he's another one who an, an anomaly of one of those young players who hasn't still been able to break the stranglehold on men's tennis. But he's fairly one-dimensional with that mammoth serve. It is. And well, if you can get that serve back, then you might just about have him. Shapovalov is the absolute opposite. He's actually got he's far more versatile. Um, he doesn't have that big serve. He can move around a court. He's got great ability. Um, I expect him again to cause some upsets, but. I'd like to personally, players to watch out for, but I'd like to personally see him do a little bit more in this Grand Slam. And to round it out, you did touch on him before, the top-ranked Australian, Alex Dimonor. Yeah, Alex Dimonor. Again, I, I think I mentioned, I'm thinking around a round three, round four finish for the young Australian. Um, he's got so much potential going forward. He'll have massive support behind him as well every game that he plays, no matter which court that he's on. 
and I expect him again to to really move forward and take the next step and improve on what was a fantastic 2018. Who's your tip and why? Novak Djokovic. I mm-hmm. I think after the form that he has and um, the only player that I think could probably beat him is a is a Federer or a player like a, a, a Jill Simon who just sort of comes out and just sort of softballs Djokovic. Djokovic will never get beaten by a power player. You saw that when he beat Kevin Anderson at the at the US Open, uh, excuse me, at Wimbledon. You, you know, he, he doesn't worry about those players because his defence game is just so fantastic. He thrives off the power of other players. But when he plays a player that's similar to him, that doesn't have that massive power game, he finds it difficult because he has to generate the shot. And when he has to work, when he has to put in more work in attacking, he tends to struggle a little bit. Those are the kind of players I expect to see him upset by. But right now, after the 2018 and the rise he's had, the injury cloud over Nadal, Federer, again, is amazing. Still the best player ever to play the game, in my opinion, until someone wins more Grand Slams than he does, which could be Novak if he continues in the way he's playing. But he just has this amazing defensive game that still dominates the men's tennis and just this fantastic mentality that will keep him going for a very long time. That's why he's my number one pick to win the Australian Open in 2019. Now, we touched before that we've got a few talking points and we're into the final 10 minutes of splinters for this week so we're going to have to keep this almost a 10 in 10 because we did well with the 7 in 7. Let's start with the main one and given the place we're recording this we are sweating like pigs and this this is a very appropriate one. The heat stress index that they're implementing it's going to take into account air temperature radiant heat humidity and wind speed. Now they've also said on the top of that heat stress index that there's going to be a 10 minute break between the third and fourth set in men's singles when the scale nears its most extreme point which is a five point scale now play will be suspended on outdoor courts the roof will be closed on the marquee courts how is is this a better approach do you think than the old oh, if it gets to this particular temperature then we're going to stop because humidity at 50 percent on court when it's 35 degrees as opposed to humidity at two percent when it's 40 degrees on court i'd rather play in the 40 i'd rather play in snow but you know this has been a long time coming these precautions these procedures when it's come to the weather and in particular the last few years it's been extremely hot it's okay inside what labor they can they can close the roof they can put the air con on if the players so wish but it's those courts on the outside that have absolutely no protection. You know, they, it can get so hot down there at Melbourne Park. It's it's a great sporting precinct they've got down there in, in Melbourne, but it is really, there's nothing else around it. There's, a, there's obviously the river, the Margaret River, but like... It doesn't, the Yarra River. Uh, uh, yeah, the Yarra River doesn't produce any any sort of breeze. It doesn't, you know, it's just... It's like almost like Homebush is just sun radiating on like a concrete mm. island. There's and there's nowhere to go, and there's so many people there, and the yeah. heat just rises. And this, like I said, this has been a long time coming. I, it's definitely going to benefit the players. I'm not too sure how the broadcasters will feel about it, or how the tennis Australian Open tennis scheduling will like it. But it needs to happen. Players, you can't put players under that kind of stress. And also, it brings in it brings in an advantage to a lot of players who are used to playing in hotter conditions. This one is very interesting given the blow-up of Serena Williams last year and her penalty at the US Open final. There's going to be a continuation of the trial for on-court coaching in the qualifying rounds and in the juniors. Is that something that could eventually break through to the Open ranks? I've always been a, a little bit confused with the no coaching rule in tennis. I find it, I've always found it a little odd. I never really saw a point to it. I feel like if you're going to have a coach, then he really needs to coach. 
I think what you could have or you could implement is perhaps say like a like a, a one set sort of strike. So you could say, look, you, I want to have a chat, quick chat with my coach. My coach wants to quickly say something to me. Can he say something to me? And he gets one chance. He has one thing to say. That's it. But I do at the same time. I don't want to have this. I could imagine from like a from the other side of the court and having played tennis at a professional level. It's, it can be very infuriating, and I, I play tennis at a level where you get a lot of annoying tennis parents giving coaching tips and or shouting that was in, that wasn't out, that sort of stuff. And I can imagine as an opposition player, that would get quite annoying if a player was to continuously going, who was losing, would be continuously going, hang on a minute, I need my coach to tell me something. That would, that would disrupt my game. So look, they'll trial it, it'll probably work. I think in general sport at the moment in 21st century, if it's football, league, hockey, tennis, cricket, they're trying to they're trying to just do something to, to be different. It's almost like they've got to justify their positions to, to almost to implement just new things mm. for no reason. You see the same thing with the FIFA World Cup at the moment. They introduced 48 teams. Why? It's already working fine at 32. Um, you know, it's that sort of stuff that they're trying to do, bringing different things. I'm not too sure how this one will work out. But I'd be interested to see the outcome. A couple of quick ones to get through before we get to the two real interesting talking points. Uh, increased qualifying draw for women goes from 96 players out to 128. Far more opportunities. The qualifying tournament will start a day earlier than normal, which starts today when you're hearing this on Triple H 100.1 FM or on TripleHFM.com.au. The tiebreak tens returns to Margaret Court Arena on the 9th of January, so that will be tomorrow. You're going to have high-profile practice matches to be held on Margaret Court on each day of the qualifiers. Prize money increases. That's a big thing that I know the women in particular have been fighting for. That increases to $60.5 million. You've got a 25-second serving shot clock for all main draw matches, which is currently being trialled at the Hopman Cup. Now, this is the big one. Well, actually, we'll get to the last one as well quickly. 32 seeds are maintained in the main draw and in qualifying for both men and women. There was talk of either cutting or expanding that 16 or 48. But this is the big one in the last couple of minutes here. Hawkeye, all 16 match courts will now have Hawkeye. And that is a big step forward for those players in the lower rankings who aren't going to get on the main courts. It's a massive, massive uh, implementation of, of this technology. It, it, it saves matches for a lot of players. And... You know, it's a very, very hard job of being a linesman. The ball is going very, very fast, but they do need it. And they do need it on those outside courts because there is, and you look at years gone by when they didn't have this technology, how many games were actually decided by an obscure point or poor call, an out ball. It messes with you if you can't if you can't change that call. When you know on the inside, you're like even if you want to know, like it was definitely out, that point could be a break point. That could point could be a set point that you just missed out on. That point could be a match point that they've just won. Championship point. Championship point. Well you'll never get that because obviously they'll always play that at yeah. the at the inside rod labour where you'll have the technology. Mm. So it makes it's a massive boost for the competition and just a massive boost uh, just around the world in general that you know that, that this technology will pretty much be be seen everywhere no matter where you could be played and like even if you're playing local tennis that it's something that now can be installed you could even maybe start having it at your local tennis club. That brings us to the end of Splinter's Australian Open edition. We've got uh, one more point. We have one the more point. Super tiebreaker. Oh, the super tiebreaker. How could we forget? The super tiebreaker this year is what they brought in. Um, and there's the the big debate, and I'd love to hear from so many different people around the world whether or not it's going to be beneficial. The players are definitely going to benefit from it. So mm -hmm. to, to explain to people what the super tiebreaker is now, the Australian Open has adopted what Wimbledon have now done. 
uh, excuse me, what the US Open have done, and now and the, and the French Open are still keeping it the same way. Each slam now has their own different way of ending deciding sets. So in the women's, that's the third set, and the men's, that's the fifth set. So at the Australian Open this year, if it's thir the third set and it's or the fifth set and it's locked at six all, the match will now go to a deciding tiebreaker. And at the Australian Open, it won't be like any normal tiebreaker. It'll be ten points. So it'll be a ten point. So what if you finish at five all? Does the does point eleven become match point? So no, if you if you if you at five all in the set in the tiebreaker in the tiebreaker, you then go you know then you got to go six seven eight nine ten. So you you you've still got to win by two. Yep. But it's win, for, it's first to six points. by two. No, it's win, you're gonna win ten points. Oh, ten points. Ten points. So you know how they're doing the. The, the, oh, so it's first before, to ten. The super tens at the Melbourne. Yep. That's what it is. Okay, so that's it's first what it'll to ten. Be. So it'll be. I'm not sure, and I'm pretty sure it's actually um, uh, two points. I think you've got to still okay. win by the two points, like in every mm -hmm. tennis game. But it's a ten point tiebreaker. Yep. So it's not a six point, not a twelve point tiebreaker. It's a t ten point tiebreaker. First to ten, either by two or by one. We we don't have that in front of us at the moment, but we think it's first to ten by two, which will certainly lengthen it. Unfortunately, no more seventy to sixty-eight, which was just absolutely enthralling to watch. And it's like one of those nil-all rugby league games. You just want it to keep going and keep going, and no one score. Or in this case, no one break. Or if there's a break, then break back. But we've broken our time limit here on Splinters. We have to keep moving. Dom, thank you for coming in, and you're going to be back next week. I am myself, Fernandy Caruso. We'll be previewing and reviewing what has happened in European football in 2018 and what we're looking forward to in 2019. And that will be episode nine, and that will take us into Mizzy and Keith's tenth episode spectacular. This is going to be a belter. It's going to be a little bit outside the box, so make sure that you stay tuned to Splinters on Triple H FM 100.1, streaming live on TripleHFM.com.au, and you can download us at podcast.com. There's another dollar in the swear jar. Dom, we're getting the wind up. We're getting knocks on the door. Thanks for joining me. You'll be here next week. I will be, Keith. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy the Australian Open, everyone. <laughs>